Hey, this is Isaac. Before we start the show, just a quick note. First of all, please subscribe if you haven't, and thanks if you have. Secondly, we're going to take a quick break uh, for the rest of December, and we'll be back in January with new episodes. So enjoy the rest of your year, and let's get on with the show. Greetings, greetings, fellow trolling fans, and welcome back to The Friendly Troll. My name is Isaac Rutenberg, and I am a lecturer at Strathmore University, and this is episode four of The Friendly Troll from Nairobi, Kenya. I would like to introduce my co-host for the day, Jazia. Please say hi. Hello. <laughs> and introduce yourself. Um, so I am called Jazia, I guess. And I'm actually a student of Isaac's at Strathmore Law School. Um, and I interned for Isaac at the SIPIT. And I am here today to talk about all things, or I guess not all things law, isn't it? Well, the law and many other things, let's say that. Yes. Yeah. Great. So, uh, Jazia mentioned SIPIT. Uh, you can get a link to SIPIT on the website or on the, the podcast home. That is the Center for Intellectual Property and IT Law. And that is where we do our research. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into the topic of the day. No problem. Now, this episode, because we are the friendly troll, this episode is trolling a couple of episodes that we've heard over the last few months. First of all, there's uh, an episode of uh, Make Me Smart, which is, again, Kai and, and Molly over on uh, American Public Media and Marketplace. And this is an episode of theirs called Antitrust the Process, which is from May 22nd. Please check that out. We'll have a link on our website. The other uh, website, sorry, the other podcasts that we're trolling today are from a new, uh, well, new to us podcast, which is Planet Money from, from NPR. And they had a three episode series uh, on antitrust. So antitrust one, two, and three, and these are from February of this year. Now, uh, all of that is about antitrust, but if you're not in the United States, it would be known as competition law. Antitrust law and competition law are the same thing, just in different parts of the world. So here we're going to talk about competition law, but uh, every once in a while I might throw in an, the word antitrust, so just know that those are the same. In the U.S., antitrust started out in the 1890s with the, the Sherman Act, and that was used, of course, famously to break up the Standard Oil Company. Decades and decades later, it was also used against Microsoft uh, in some of the things that they were doing with their operating system. And then recently, it's become the focus of extreme attention because of the size and the power of the IT industry. And that's the genesis of the topic for today. So first, I'd like to start with a little bit of history of the antitrust or competition law. So initially, from about 1890 onward, uh, antitrust law in the United States was used more and more to protect small businesses. 
And we saw a lot of decisions coming out of the Supreme Court of the United States that were very much in favor of small businesses that were up against large businesses, uh, sort of a David versus Goliath kind of, uh, of fight. And the battlefield was antitrust law. Along came a gentleman named Robert Bork in the 80s or so. Uh, he's famous because he was nominated to the Supreme Court by, uh, I think, Reagan. And then uh, he was actually not confirmed by the Congress. So he didn't make it to the Supreme Court, but he was extremely influential in antitrust law. And specifically, he said, we need to stop having all these decisions in favor of small companies and only focus on one thing. And that one thing is consumer harm. So if consumers are not being harmed, then there's no antitrust problem or there's no competition problem. Now, the way that consumer harm has been measured consistently throughout the last few decades is one way, and that is through low prices. If there are low prices, consumers are not harmed. If there are high prices, consumers are being harmed. So essentially, all of antitrust law through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s probably can be boiled down to asking the question, are prices high or prices low? And if prices are low, there's no antitrust problem. There's no competition law problem. So now the 2010s, uh, we are having uh, essentially a backlash against Robert Bork's backlash against the initial antitrust law, which was trying to help out small companies. This new backlash, which some people have called hipster antitrust or new Brandeisian economic theory or, or, or antitrust theory, if you will. This basically says, uh, wait a minute, tech companies are essentially giving us products for free, meaning there's no such thing as price in this equation, meaning we can't really look at price as the only measure of whether consumers are being harmed. So we basically have a new direction of antitrust law, at least in the United States and also in Europe to some degree, although they never really left the original school of thought of consumer harm uh, as much as the United States did. We have a, a sort of a move back towards saying uh, even though consumers are paying very low, there still is quite a bit of potential harm or actual harm to either markets or to consumers if you measure it in not with just low prices. So that brings us now to talk about Kenya. No problem. Hakuna matata. Hakuna matata means there's no problem. Simba is lion and that's our emblem. No problem. The competition law in Kenya is much more modeled after the European Union style of competition law, and it looks at the market as a whole. So there's a lot of space to ask the question, is the market itself being harmed? Are competitors being harmed? Consumer harm is barely even mentioned in the competition law, although it is also a way of enforcing competition law in Kenya. You can also ask, are consumers being hurt? But it is by no means the only measure. So we're going to start out here, Jazia, with looking at the issue of large tech companies, uh, these dominant tech companies. And from previous episodes, our listeners might remember that really we have three of them that are present uh, all the time in our face here. One is Google, of course, Facebook is the other, and then Microsoft. And in fact, um, even Uber I will talk about in a bit. But first, going back to those three, my question to you is whether you could envision any competitor to those three companies, to any of those companies, really, a local competitor emerging from a market as we see the market today? I think if we're looking at it in a general view, not going into the 
logistics and the intricacy behind it, then no, because everyone uses, even if you don't use, let's say, Facebook, you still use WhatsApp. If you don't use, um, okay, I don't understand how anyone would not be able to use Google, you still use YouTube. Um, in regards to a local tech company, I wouldn't say that there's any that could challenge those platforms because even then, um, web developers are probably looking at these platforms and using these platforms maybe to model different startups that they have. But that's what makes them remain startups, the fact that they haven't been able to get off the ground. And I don't know if that would be as a result of the fact that it is, you know, Kenya is still a quote-unquote developing country and these industries these um tech companies exist in a place where a they've had the time and the luxury to grow over the past decades and b they have the resources made available to them much easier than we have it here so as it stands i wouldn't say that there is a competing market but i could be I could be wrong. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Well, I'll give you one example where there is competition, and that is uh, in Amazon. Uh, of course, Amazon is known for many things, but one of them is the marketplace that they have, where here, actually, Amazon has an incredibly small market share, if any market share at all. The largest is a company called Jumia, which is an African company based, do you know? I can I can get where it is in a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. As you're looking for that, I'm just wondering why is that one company uh, or that one area mar- online marketplaces? Why is that different from say search or say social media, where it's extremely, as you said, it's extremely unlikely that we'll ever see a competitor to Facebook or Google, but we have a competitor to Amazon. Why do you think that is? Okay, um, so Jumia is founded in Nigeria. Okay. Um, and, okay, I when we think about, I guess when we think about it that way, then I could even throw in MOOC, MOOC Africa, because MOOC is um, a Kenyan-based um, company, tech company, and it deals with, um, you know, now they're venturing into content creation and event organization. But I feel like maybe it's because of the fact that even Jumia, it's still within Africa. It's not gone outside Africa. So I guess then the question we should be asking is not why are they not competing with these companies, but how do we get them to compete with these companies on an international scale? So how do we take Jumia or um, MOOC and then transfer that to European countries or um, the Americas or Australia or New Zealand in the same way that those companies have come to Africa and Asia and um, so on and so forth. Okay, so you're you're suggesting even having us become the exporter of technology. Yeah. That would be really awesome. So before we leave the issue of Jumio, there are a few other topics I do want to get to. I uh, was just speaking before the show with uh, one of the producers here, which you regular listeners will have heard him before. His name is Philip. And by the way, it is his birthday. And so we thought maybe he needs to talk about what he thinks in terms of Jumia and why Jumia is able to take on the big global tech giant. Yeah, Isaac, the reason as to why I think uh, Jumia has become popular here in Kenya is because, first of all, the word Jumia 
sounds local as much as it's not a Kenyan company then jumuiya is solving local problems to to the citizens for example uh, jumuiya is able to deliver something to your doorstep and then you pay when it's being delivered as compared to amazon which uh, i have to do paypal or put my credit card and pay for the item before i get it as i said in another episode Kenyans are still not yet very comfortable with online purchases. We still want to interact with people and all that. So that's why I think Jumia is doing well here in Kenya. So it's a, essentially a dual issue you think uh, the ease of the payment, the way that they accept payments that we generally do and also because it feels more like a local brand. Gosh, I wish that uh, local brands were enough to take on giants. But speaking of which, uh, just briefly, let's talk about ride sharing for a moment. We have, of course, Uber here. Uh, we have had it for a couple of years now. But we also do actually have a couple of homegrown, if you will, uh, local companies. One of them is, is called Little, and it is from Safaricom. Safaricom. Yeah, our major telecom does that one. We also have something called Maramoja, which is um, a startup, essentially, that has done ride sharing and is venturing into other areas in the tech industry as well. So is there something special about ride-sharing that you think uh, allows Kenyan companies to take on, again, the big global tech giants? Even just starting with the fact that I think, because I was speaking to my my grandmother doesn't know how to use um, her phone, <laughs> let alone applications. <laughs> the phone at all. <laughs> <laughs> just the phone in itself. Yeah. Um, so I showed her how to use uber and she was so amazed at how you can just call and a cab basically from your phone and it's two minutes it's there and how easy like the money aspect is and everything and sometimes she doesn't fully understand it because she looks at uber like a person versus a company right which was a very interesting thing for me because now you have this one demographic that looks at tech industries as a whole and tech companies as entities uh, as people basically but then obviously you have the other side that looks at tech companies as companies and these individuals behind these tech companies look at these companies as companies and that's why you have them saying that the economies for example uber existing in kenya and having to pay um, digital market tax because it, it does still exist in an internet space and them saying that that's unfair and yet they're using Kenyan resources they're using Kenyan cars they're using Kenyan fuel they're using Kenyan customers Kenyan money and Kenyan drivers who say that apps like Uber take advantage of them because of how low the commission that they're paid is but then you have a company like Little Cab by Safaricom, which is a local company, telecom company, that is now venturing into ride sharing. And they are looking at what are we doing for our um, Kenyan employees, basically the drivers. So the drivers are able to be paid more money. They're able to have, um, and it's interesting that you mentioned um, antitrust, because one of the aspects of antitrust in the United States um was the Clayton yeah Clayton Act and that was kind of discussing um, trade unions and how important trade unions are when in regards to competition law so we were discussing how you shouldn't be basically um, 
morally incorrect even when you're participating in various um acts of competition but safaricom comes in and says that there's this big gap in this ride sharing industry that is the drivers are not being taken into consideration and their needs are not being taken into consideration so after multiple strikes over a course of so many years you have this now local company that i would say is giving uber a run for its money because the amount of users who have uber on their phone they also have little cab on their phone mm. the drivers who are uber drivers are also little cab drivers definitely so i think that's one side of um that's one industry that i think we can very easily drive an international company out of essentially just based on away from this business side of things but rather the more i would think the moral side of it because you're taking these people's um situations into account uh, agreed and and the pun is is much appreciated Jazia, you mentioned Safaricom, and of course we can't have a, a podcast on competition law and not talk about Safaricom, but let me get there in its time. Uh, I'd like to first talk about regulating these foreign companies in Kenya through the law. So the competition law applies to, the Kenyan competition law that is, applies to uh, companies doing business in Kenya, whether they have a base here or not. And also, of course, any company that is based here is also subject to the competition law. So I would argue that basically any of these companies we've discussed so far uh, could be the subject of some investigations or some sanctions or, or anything under the competition law. And here we have somewhat of an interesting problem, if you will. So first of all, being dominant under Kenyan law, okay, let me step back. The American law is very broad and basically says anything that you do, anything that any company does that is in restraint of trade or is anti-competitive is illegal. That is not the case under the Kenyan law, uh, which again is modeled after the Europeans instead of the Americans. Where it, So in Kenya, it basically says when you act on your own, Nothing that you do is illegal until you become a dominant company. And once you are a dominant company, then things start to become illegal if, if you engage in things like price fixing and predatory pricing and things like that. Those become illegal only once you are dominant. And, and the law has a definition of what is a dominant company. It is basically any company with a greater than 50% market share or smaller under certain circumstances. But just for the sake of argument, let's take the 50%. A good question would be, for example, does Facebook have 50% of the market or more? Well, I would argue yes, but it also depends on how you define the market. For example, on let's look at messaging, instant messaging services. Facebook, of course, owns WhatsApp. They also have their own messaging platform. So if you look at just those two and you say instant messaging over data, using data, you would say, well, there really isn't any other option using data. And they would be probably almost 100%. Well, there's Signal and Telegram, but those are very minor uh, in the Kenyan market. So, But however, if you look at instant messaging and you say not necessarily just using data, then you have to include SMS. And I would argue that a lot more SMSs are probably sent on a whole, okay, maybe not more, but it would definitely cut into Facebook's market share and they would not be anywhere near 100% if you include SMS. So it's an interesting question as to whether Facebook would be uh, 
dominant in the first place. And then if you say that they are dominant, if we assume that they do have 50% of the market, uh, then you have to ask the question, are any consumers being harmed by what they do? Uh, although, again, that's not the only measure in Kenya. Uh, of course, all of those messaging services are free. So is there an argument, do you think, that uh, that Facebook is abusing the dominance that they might have in instant messaging, for example? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that is important to note is that also not a lot of people have access to A, the internet, and B, a phone with um, internet access. So anything other than like, you know, um, basically the black and white Nokia phones. And that's largely as a result of these people who live in, you know, villages or the rural areas. And obviously for them, like, um, I think we were going from Nairobi to Nivasha. And along the way, you just see this massive billboard of Safaricom. And it was interesting. I think it was in a class we were sitting and having this discussion in a tax law class. Um, A rural... Um, Kenyan, like your grand, like your grandmother, basically. Imagine someone your grandmother's age or your great grandmother's age, who is not accustomed to the tech, right? They see this billboard of Safaricom, and that's what they identify as their means of communication. So when you say that probably there's more SMSs being sent than, you know, um, in Kenya at least, than instant messaging is being used, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think be surprised if that was the case. Right just because of this one factor. However, um, I mean, we know that Facebook does a, isn't the most ethical company, and they do have a lot of things like privacy concerns and just general. I think the other day there was like um, sexual misconduct cases that were coming up. So I would not put it past a company like Facebook that also owns these many other sub-companies to use an unethical, not necessarily even an unethical means, but use any means possible to be at the top of their game. Yeah. Especially with my, I mean, the well, not it's not even my generation anymore. It's a much newer generation. <laughs> newer than Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, I think they're con- called the Gen Y. Gen Y? I don't know. Um, yeah, but them, they are not even interested in Facebook anymore. You know, for them, it's Snapchat, it's Instagram. Instagram, sure. Yeah, like, that's what they're into. So, but even then, that's owned by Facebook. And it's interesting because we were having a discussion and it's like, you can say you don't use Facebook, but then you're using WhatsApp, you're using Instagram. Yeah. And I feel like that, even if Facebook, like Facebook as Facebook takes a hit, they, Mark Zuckerberg and the the people that exist behind the closed doors will still find a way to make Facebook rebrand like sure. rebranded and then still continue to dominate that industry that they're in. Sure. Two 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 things you've said have have been very interesting. First of all on the rebranding, yes, Facebook did rebrand. So <laughs> so honestly we should be saying not just Facebook, but Facebook, Facebook right? <laughs> as they've done now gone to all capitals. But the other um the other really interesting thing that you said interesting ways of continuing to keep their market share or protecting their market share. That is so true here. And the example is free basics. So when you say FB, uh, I I have to wonder, do you mean Facebook 
or do you mean free basics? Uh, well, not you, but if anyone would anyway. say FB. Free basic, uh, for those of you who don't know, is that uh, the concept as follows. Facebook has essentially paid, I think, or come into some sort of agreement with uh, major telecoms here in Kenya, and they give um, free access to Facebook and to WhatsApp. So when you buy a data, a data plan or a, a chunk of data, you get the chunk of data plus you get to use Facebook and WhatsApp or at least a, a smaller version of Facebook. I think videos and some photos may not always be uh, included in that, but you're allowed to use Facebook and, and exist in the Facebook universe for free. So it really, really encourages people to stay on those platforms because when you're, you know, when your uh, data is a, a, a large part of, uh, or some, something that's very important, you're paying, you know, a good amount of money for it. Uh, you want to conserve it as much as possible. You would stay towards the free services. Now, that would not exist in a environment that has net neutrality or I think mm -hmm. it should not exist when there's net neutrality. Mm -hmm. But net neutrality is not the subject of this conversation. <laughs> we'll do that another episode. But anyway, I think that uh, what you said about Facebook using interesting methods is absolutely true when they go and they try and get um, market share that way. Did you have something to add? Yeah, you mentioned how, like, um, I actually wanted to add that um, Facebook does, you know, use the telecoms to use, like, you know, oh, if you get this much data, you get these many minutes or whatever it is or Facebook, you know, free because they do that with WhatsApp as well. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because Safaricom is one of the leading telecom industries and companies in Kenya. And I think it's, um, yeah, 50% of the government's, uh, the Kenyan GDP comes from M-Pesa alone. Transactions on M-Pesa. Right. Yeah. And you find that I'm sure that must be frustrating for, first of all, Airtel, because Airtel and Safaricom have been kind of rivals for as long as I can remember. And then you have now even the smaller um, companies like Orange. Is it, I think you is still there. Um, to a point, people can't even remember anything other than Airtel. Yeah, and at this Safaricom. point, I think only, we only have three now, Telcom, Saf Airtel, and Safaricom. Yeah. Right. And it's what I find is really interesting is that um, in Kenya, at least, these companies like to argue things out on social media. So it's not it's no longer become a thing of I'll see you in the courtroom. It's a thing of I'll see you on Twitter. Right. And or I'll see you in with marketing strategies. Um, you'll have I think Airtel would have like these two scenarios and one object is red and then ob the object is green and it's like the red object is the better object than the green object and safaricom came out with their little paper um boats their boats yes yeah. so i think that's another really interesting way of them cuz it's it's intriguing as like the consumer because it's definitely just a marketing ploy to get the better ad is the one that catches your eye and that's the company you want to go towards right but then when you look at it in a deeper way, it's like, but still Safaricom is still dominating this industry. Yeah. And even if Airtel does manage to get half of, because I've, I've, everyone I've met, it's a 50-50, 50% of people are using Safaricom, 50% are using Airtel. And Airtel has very good um, affordable deals. But you still find that Safaricom 
without really lifting a finger. They still have market share. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, let's let's wrap up with a brief discussion about Safaricom specifically, uh, because one of the major issues in U.S. politics right now is, uh, particularly with Elizabeth Warren, is that uh, everybody wants to break up the big tech companies. Yeah. So they're talking about Facebook being broken up, maybe divesting WhatsApp uh, and and Instagram. And all sorts of other ways of breaking up the big tech companies. Well, uh, our big tech company, as you have said, is Safaricom. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, just a few days or weeks ago, uh, there was a proposal in the parliament uh, to break up Safaricom and essentially split it into two companies. One that would do traditional telecom and the other one that would do M-Pesa or mobile money. Uh, So that bill... um, has not yet become an act. It's, I'm not sure that it's even reached parliament uh, for, for proper parliamentary debates, but it was proposed by someone in the political side of the telecom industry. And it'll be very interesting to watch to see if that bill gains any traction. I, I would argue that it's completely unnecessary because currently we already have a competition law that would allow the competition authority to break up Safaricom in exactly that same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that legislating it is probably uh, a very uh, unnecessary thing to do and, and a bit heavy-handed. So any final comments on that before we head out? Um, I feel like on that last point that you just mentioned, um, what I've noticed, especially being a law student for five years now, is that um, there's so many policies and so many potential proposed policies that it's so hard to keep track of them <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Because, like, even with, like, tax law, like, the finance bill, um, trade protection, and competition law, they all, like, encompass each other. Yeah. But you don't even realize that. So, and yeah, the way you mentioned that there is a commission and there is a way that um, the aggrieved party can complain to the commission. Yeah. And I feel like it's just a matter of maybe public... Um, making finding a way to increase public knowledge about it, because if these if the people the professionals aren't even aware essentially, yeah, then that is a really big red flag. Yeah, definitely the competition authority has some uh, public education to do. So, yeah. great, thank you very much for that. Well, Jazia, it's been a real pleasure to have you in the studio for this and also to Philip for his contributions. Uh, Jazia, what are your parting comments? So outside of the legal world, I do work with a lot of um, Nairobi and African creatives. So within the creative industry, and we actually have um, podcasts and workshops and events of our own that deal with A, <laughs> educating um, the creatives on like the more legal business side of things and be just educating um, our general listeners on the creative industry basically so if they're not aware of what's going on in the creative industry because I find that a lot of these inter- industries have the same issues which is there's no unless you're in the industry itself be it legal or creative you don't really know what's happening um, yeah so I guess I would say education. And your podcast is called what? Um, it's a part of um, a organization from the UK called the Ubinifu Space, 
So it's just the Ubunifu space, Kenya, and then a colon, the vent. Okay, great. Well, uh, again, thanks for being in the studio. And I'd like to close with a few uh, appreciations here. First of all, as regular listeners will know, we have uh, music by Them Mushrooms, that the song Jambo Buana. And just uh, to make sure that uh, this is not lost, I just want to mention again that we did obtain the rights to using that song. Thank you very much to Teddy Kalanda Harrison for providing those rights. And uh, I hope you enjoy the, the music on the way out. Uh, I'd like to thank Fulani Media and uh, the producers. That's Philip and Elia Kim also. Thank you very much. And finally, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us again uh, from Nairobi for The Friendly Troll. So, until next time, bye for now. Kenya yetu, Kenya inchi zuri.